queer life in Montreal was wild. Montreal in the 90s was a great time, but it had a dark side. It was not a safe city for gay people back then. But what else was behind a series of deaths in the city? Somebody's killing gay men. We want to know why. I'm Francis Plourde, and this is The Village, The Montreal Murders. Get early access to episodes at cbc.ca slash listen or by subscribing to the CBC True Crime Premium channel on Apple Podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Welcome to The Dose. Today is a third wave of COVID inevitable in Canada. Heck, are we there yet? Hi, Ray Watt. Hi. Uh, you have a theory about the pandemic being like an action movie. So I'm going to ask you, what act are we in with COVID? We are in the third act, if indeed action movies come in three acts. And if you think about your favorite action movie, the first act is when the crisis is set up. The second act is the first big set action piece. And the third act is when our heroes fight the biggest foe. It's when the dawn is near, but the last big crisis must be overcome. And here's the thing, that last big crisis, the last monster, the last foe that must be fought, isn't always the biggest, most powerful foe. Sometimes it's the hardest struggle because the heroes are just tired. Well, obviously lots to talk about before we begin. Can you give us a hi my name is and tell us what you do in a sentence or two? My name is Raywat Dionandan. I'm an epidemiologist and an associate professor at the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Ottawa. Okay, here we go. The more infectious variants are surging in a number of provinces. At the same time, officials are easing lockdown restrictions. Some experts are warning that the combination could be a perfect storm for a third wave. So today on The Dose, we're asking what, if anything, can we do to stop a third wave? Raywat Dionandan is here with some answers. Raywat, welcome to The Dose. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Uh, since it's our question, I'm going to ask you right off the bat, are we in or on the cusp of a third wave of COVID? I believe we are. And first, we have to ask ourselves, what is a third wave? I mean, we don't know we're in a wave until we're already deep in it or sometimes until it's over. And a wave probably isn't the best way to describe these kinds of things. They're probably best described as surges because a wave implies that this is a natural occurrence that we just have to wait it out. And that's not true. We do things that cause the wave and we do things that cause the wave to subside afterwards. So if we're in a, a third surge, uh, as I prefer to call it, um, I think it's true because that's what we're seeing in Europe. And whatever happens in Europe tends to happen here a few weeks later, uh, based on what we've seen this past year. And certainly we're doing all the right things to allow a third wave to happen. So I fully expect us to be at the beginnings of a third wave right now. We know the more infectious variants are surging in many parts of the country. What do we know about the degree of their spread in Canada so far? Canada is beset by B117, the so-called UK variant. The other variants of concern, the major ones, are the South African variant, so-called uh, B1351, and the so-called Brazilian variant, P1. Those last two aren't as prevalent, but uh, B117 is getting a foothold in Ontario and in BC, possibly in Quebec. So you've already begun to touch on the modeling uh, and that we're on track for the modeling. So what does that modeling show, for instance, for the next month, particularly in Ontario, where, where B117 has really taken off? Well, there are extreme scenarios, there are moderate scenarios, and there are good scenarios. The good scenario is that B117 will not take off substantially 
And in fact, the disease peters off and we avoid the third wave. The moderate scenario is that it reaches about 40% of uh, new cases and suddenly our hospitals are really taxed and possibly overwhelmed. And the extreme scenario is that that ridiculous looking explosion rocket ship curve, you know, where the case numbers just go out of control. We're looking at 10,000 cases per day. I don't think the extreme scenario is what we'll see. I think we have a good chance of seeing the moderate scenario of up to two to 4,000 cases per day. Now, we're into um, deep into, well, not deep into, but early into our vaccine rollout program as well. And that's going to help. I don't think it's going to help quickly enough to prevent a third wave, but it will help substantially to diminish the death toll. And that brings us back to a fundamental existential question that we haven't really asked in a year, which is what is the goal here in our pandemic response? Early on, it was flatten the curve, keep the healthcare system up and running. Then it became avoid the death toll. Then it became uh, keep things open. Then it became avoid infection at all costs. And I don't know what the right answer is for the duration of the pandemic, but I think right now it is to prevent the overwhelming of the healthcare system to allow us to hold steady until vaccination does its job. I think we're doing a sufficiently good vaccination job that those most likely to die, by which I mean the residents of long-term care centers and uh, the uh, community dwelling elderly might get vaccinated in time to prevent that from happening. But I am concerned about the uh, middle-aged individuals who still might be hospitalized, but probably won't die. I, I'm optimistic that uh, the numbers might increase, but the toll on the system will not be as bad. So how important are the next three or four weeks that we do what we're supposed to do and in order to, to not let the cat out of the bag, as, as some people say it? It's pretty important. This is all about exponential growth. And exponential growth comes in two sort of phases. The first phase is the slow horizontal phase. And the second phase is the short explosive vertical phase. And the human brain is unable to understand exponential growth. So we see the slow horizontal phase of exponential growth, and we assume it's always going to be that way. And by the time we see the explosive vertical phase, it's too late to act moderately. You have to act in a hard way. So right now, it's still early enough in the exponential growth phase where if we act hard, by which I mean if we restrain ourselves and maybe prevent ourselves from opening up parts of society, we can prevent the need for acting harder later on. Exponential growth is insidious like that. So again, the next couple of weeks, if we resist the urge to, you know, to socialize in large numbers, and if we do embrace the urge to get vaccinated, then we can avoid the biggest toll of this third wave. I want to ask you about where in Canada we're at greatest risk of this third wave. Will the third wave hit all of Canada or just some provinces like Ontario, for instance, British Columbia, Quebec, Alberta? Oh, you ask interesting questions. Throughout the, the duration of the pandemic in Canada, it's really been a story of four provinces, BC, Alberta, Quebec, and Ontario. And it will continue to be a story of four provinces, largely because that's where most of the people live. Now, we can see possibly faster growth in some other provinces, but the number of people affected will be smaller. You've said a couple of times that what happens in Europe happens in Canada. And I want to ask you, what can we learn by looking at places like Germany and now India, which of course is not in the European Union, uh, where they have already declared a well-established third wave. What we've learned is uh, so far the vaccination rate will not protect us. 
India is vaccinating much faster than us, larger numbers and much more organizedly, and they have not managed to avoid that wave. Germany is struggling with vaccine acceptance in some ways. The AstraZeneca dose has been tainted in the minds of German citizenry and everyone's demanding the mRNA doses. We can't let that happen here. So we learn more about what not to do. I think, and this is a dangerous thing to say, because this is very controversial, we have to be circumspect about school openings. It's dangerous because the experts can't agree on whether schools should or shouldn't be open. But as I look at it, those European countries with open schools are having a harder time with managing their third wave than those that don't, possibly because the new variants might be more tenable in, in the younger population. Not entirely sure about that. So that's something to consider. Maybe we should be slowing down our school openings. So um, I want to make sure, can, can you yeah. break that down a little bit? You're saying that the third wave may have been, may have taken off because of increased spread of the variants of concern, particularly B117 in school age kids. Yeah, I wasn't phrased it that way. I'm being very careful how I phrase this. Because this is a topic that really triggers a lot of yeah. people. Those countries like Portugal, uh, Switzerland, Germany, who have, are experiencing third waves, also measured transmission of a higher than expected nature among school-age children, according to some metrics. I know I'll get some pushback from others saying, no, according to these measurements, it didn't happen. But it's something to consider at the very least. Uh, so my position is we're a couple of months away from being able to strategically open society and keep it open. And maybe then now is the time to be as conservative as possible with the decisions we make to prevent the need for extending restrictions. And if that means erring on the side of school closures, I think that's the rational thing to do. And I know that's going to upset the people who argue that school that kids need to be in schools. And, and I don't dispute that. Kids absolutely need to be in school. And we have to weigh the, the, the mental health effects of this uh, against the public health benefits. Absolutely. But strictly speaking strictly from the perspective of managing the spread of the disease, I think it's something that has to be considered. What we can do next then is really double down on test, trace, and isolate. We've done a really bad job of this, a, a horrible job. And it's, it's been stunning for me to watch how we've dropped the ball in this again and again and again. So we have unused rapid testing capacity. And the things rapid tests aren't perfect. I understand that. They have flaws. It comes down to, can they be used with imagination and with restraint to do a specific kind of job? And if we can do that, we can keep some things running. So the, the power of public health to manage a disease like this is through case detection and case isolation. We can't detect cases if we haven't got our testing regimen up and running at full scale. We're going to take a short break, but we'll be back in a moment. A while back, you, you talked about mass vaccination offering some hope of being able to at least to some extent blunt the impact of a third wave. Can you say more about that? We're in a race to get immunity, resistance in the population before the thing that threatens your health gets to you. So what can get to the population faster, the new variants or immunity via vaccination? That's the race here. Vaccination, we know for sure, gets us the prevention of serious sickness. It may not prevent infection. It may not prevent transmission. But guess what? It probably does. We have some data that AstraZeneca prevents transmission by up to 67%. I would guess that the other vaccines, somewhere between 60 and 80%, probably. So what vaccination gets us is the slowing down of the spread of the disease, but absolutely it gets us the prevention of suffering. 
Because what's the goal here? The goal here is to keep society open and to prevent human suffering. But its connection to the third wave implies yeah. that you can vaccinate enough people fast enough. Can we logistically? I think now it's probably, well, is it too late? You know, I, I got to stop and think about that. Is it too late now? Assuming we got like 10 million vaccines per day for the next two weeks. Can we get them into arms every day? We probably can't, to be honest, because it says, does take two weeks to build up immunity to get that immunogenic response. So let's say we got every Canadian vaccinated tomorrow. Two weeks later, they'd be immune. That gives you two weeks to become infected. And in two weeks, we'll have exponential growth anyway. We could do it if we had all that happening and if everyone stayed home and didn't interact for those two weeks. It is theoretically possible. It's just highly unlikely. So um, I don't think we'll vaccinate ahead of this problem. Okay, so while we're talking about grim subjects, let's drill down a little deeper and take a look at what this third wave would look like. So it has become, as it was a year ago, this has become a hospital systems crisis. It became an existential crisis sometime later in the spring last year and remains so. It may not be an existential crisis anymore. It is once again a systems crisis. I, I know that my colleagues in the hospital system are overtaxed in many of the large hospitals and we have plateaued, before the numbers peaked, we plateaued at an unsustainable level at the end of the second wave. So anything adding to that is doubly unsustainable. This is a wake-up call, by the way. When this is over, we have to expand our hospital capacity. Canada, amongst OECD nations, has the lowest or amongst the lowest hospital beds per capita, which is insane. Okay, uh, we've gone deep into the valley now. Now we've got to get into some optimism here. And just, just, just to be really clear, the 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 good, one of the good pieces of good news about the vaccines is that they do appear to work against B one one seven. That is correct. So all the mRNA vaccines, both of them, seem to work against all the variants that we're aware of. But let's say a new vaccine vaccine escape, as we call it, variant arises. By which I mean a mutation happens where the virus now can outwit all of our vaccines. That's not a reason to panic either, because we have the magic of the mRNA vaccines, which I think is just, it's just astonishingly clever and beautiful and perfect. Because within 48 hours of sequencing the genome of a new virus, a new variant, we can produce in the lab a new mRNA vaccine for that particular virus. And then two to six weeks later, put that into production. So just 48 hours, that's it. As a result, we win the arms race. What would you like to see governments do now to stop a third wave or blunt its impact? I would like to see us open things up much more slowly. I would, I mean, I think we probably should not have opened up at all. I think we should have kept the restrictions in place that we had in, in January and, and early February and maintain it longer. Um, that doesn't make a lot of people happy. I understand there's economic struggling there, but what you do is you make sure that the people who are struggling are supported first and foremost. But since that's not happening, what we have to do now is call upon people to voluntarily self-restrict more so. That's a hard thing to do because people are hearing the messaging coming from the USA, which is, hey, everybody get vaccinated and go socialize. And uh, Talk shows have guests in person in the studio now. There are actual audiences in studios too. We see what's happening south of the border and assume that applies to us. It does not apply to us. What government can do is accelerate vaccination we can make better quality masks more readily available and mandate them. One thing government can do in places like schools that will remain open, in places like uh, businesses, is 
do two things, implement rapid testing at a scale that we have not used yet, and invest heavily in ventilation. Ventilation does not get enough airplay. That's a good pun, isn't it? Airplay ventilation. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> right, we, we, we spent a lot of time last spring talking about deep cleaning and, you know, washing your hands and not touching your face. And that helps, but that's not the major way that COVID gets transmitted. We're pretty sure now that it's airborne, it's aerosolized. That means we need air purifiers in buildings. We need a cross breeze. We need high ceilings. Yes, that costs money, but it's a good investment in the long term for the health of your children. So if you can't close things down, and frankly, maybe we shouldn't close things down. Maybe people can't tolerate that. Then make places safer. I'm fond of saying that public health is the art of the possible. And what is possible is gated by what people will tolerate. And it strikes me that people probably aren't able to tolerate further economic closures and probably not any school closures. But people can tolerate investments in infrastructure that make them safe. What should individuals do to protect themselves and to stop or minimize a third wave? We always have it in our power to reduce our individual contacts. One of the indicators I look for in my city's COVID dashboard is the number of average, average number of contacts per detected case. And I saw it was uh, around two point something back in January during economic uh, closures and then jumped up to five point something last month. That's when our numbers started to climb. So that is the best predictor of whether or not transmission will happen. We always have it within our wherewithal to choose not to do things. Throughout the entirety of the pandemic, this has been a marshmallow experiment writ large. If you remember the marshmallow experiment from psych class, that's when a child is offered a marshmallow and then said, if you can if you can not eat this marshmallow for an hour, you get two marshmallows or something like that. So if we cannot take the marshmallow, if we cannot go to the restaurant, the bar, or the party, then guess what? In a couple of months, we get all the marshmallows. We get all our social life back. But if we take that marshmallow now, this, uh, this discomfort might have to endure longer than we need it to. Now to the question you're probably asked the most often. Uh, it's certainly the one we get all the time at the CBC. Given what we've just heard about the variants, where are we in this pandemic? Is the end in sight? Oh, it is so in sight. <laughs> I can see the finish line from my house. And the question is, is it five miles away or is it 50 miles away? The pandemic itself, as an administrative thing, will not be declared over until next year at the earliest. That doesn't mean we won't experience normal before then. It just means at a global level, you know, it'll still be percolating and simmering and maybe even exploding in some parts of the world, especially poor parts of the world that can't afford vaccine yet. Uh, It also means that we probably won't be having unfettered international travel for uh, at least another year. But when it comes to enjoying our life domestically, I think we're going to have by Christmas, absolutely, a normal-looking Christmas, absolutely. Um, we probably won't have concerts and music festivals until next summer. We will definitely have you know, indoor parties and gatherings by the fall. Come late spring, early summer, we will see the last of economic restrictions. So my best prediction is that if we can weather the next two, three months, the sun will start to rise and it will stay high in the sky and never go down again. Ray Watt, Dion and thank you so much for speaking with us. It was my pleasure. Raywat Dionandin is an epidemiologist and an associate professor in the Faculty of Health Sciences at the University of Ottawa. It's highly likely that we'll experience a third wave of COVID in provinces with high case counts like Ontario, Quebec, Alberta, and BC. It's likely that a third wave of the pandemic will be driven by B117, one of the so-called variants of concern that's surging in many parts of the country. 
We don't know how severe a third wave will be in terms of numbers, hospitalizations, and deaths. We want to avoid exponential or out-of-control growth in the number of new cases. The more we loosen restrictions right now, the worse things might get. A mass vaccination program won't happen soon enough and fast enough to prevent a third wave. What it can do is dramatically reduce the number of deaths by protecting older Canadians from the virus. Just remember that until they're vaccinated, people in their 50s and 60s will remain at risk during a third wave. The good news is that the vaccines seem to work well against variants like B117. As we open things up, even as the third wave is set to begin, governments should ramp up testing, contact tracing, and isolation of people infected. As we've said many times before on The Dose, there are lots of things you can do that will blunt the impact of a third wave. Wear a mask, wash your hands frequently, and reduce non-essential direct contact with other people by, for instance, not eating meals in restaurants. Another two or three months of staying a step ahead of COVID will hopefully do the trick. It's tempting to shrug off the pandemic and rush back to normal. Just remember that the goal is to reduce suffering in people at risk and their loved ones. If you have topics you'd like to hear on The Dose or questions you'd like answered, email us at thedose at cbc.ca. You can also tweet me at NightShiftMD or at CBCWhiteCoat using the hashtag TheDoseCBC. You can find The Dose and White Coat Black Art wherever you get your podcasts. Please do us a favor and rate our shows highly so more people can find us. This edition of The Dose was produced by Willow Smith and Donna Dingwall with digital support from Fabiola Carletti. Thanks to Lauda Antonelli for technical support. The Dose wants you to be better informed about your health. But if you're looking for medical advice, see your healthcare provider. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. Until your next dose. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.